Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this lecture is actually going to be based in part, or the series of lectures, on a presentation I did uh, yesterday, which is uh, late January 2008, uh, for a symposium on pancreatic cancer. And the symposium was trying to look at what would be the state of the art in terms of imaging, the state of the art in terms of surgery, and the state of the art in terms of uh, other therapies for the patient with pancreatic adenocarcinoma. And of course, what was interesting, there were many uh, areas of discussion, many areas of controversy. But one of the areas that had no controversy was that CT was felt to be the state of the art for evaluating the pancreas in patients with pancreatic adenocarcinoma, and that 3D imaging with post-processing uh, was mandatory. So let's now take a look at this in more detail. We know there are many ways to evaluate the pancreas. There are certain advantages and disadvantages to each technique. But there's no doubt that uh, every hospital, essentially, will use CT as their primary imaging study. Now, the literature truly supports this. Here was an article by BiPath, which was a meta-analysis in 2005, concluding that CT was the preferable method for imaging modality for the diagnosis and determination of resectability of pancreatic adenocarcinoma. And this was based on the high sensitivity uh, for diagnosis of helical CT and its high specificity. Uh, again, uh, this article had the conclusions using CT, but uh, if you look at some of the numbers, the numbers were okay. Uh, helical CT sensitivity 91%, specificity 85% for diagnosis and for resectability. 81% and specificity of 82%. Now, it was better than any other technology, but it's important to remember in looking at these numbers that this was a meta-analysis, which means you looked at many studies, but equally important, maybe more important, was these studies took 13 years, from 1990 to 2003. And even writing an article and publishing in 2005, 16 slides was probably the standard of care at that point. The 64 was being introduced, but these articles we're looking at here, not all of them had uh, spiral CT, and many of them had single slice, and many had four slice. So again, those numbers for CT were pretty impressive, especially when you consider the technology wasn't so impressive. When you look at the more recent articles, here's an article from November 07 in the Journal of the Pancreas, 91 consecutive patients referred with a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, uh, underwent three-phase imaging, out of these, 63 were considered inoperable because of spread of disease. 28 patients were left then. 23 underwent the Whipple. Five underwent the palliative procedure. And when you look at the numbers, when compared to surgical outcomes, CT had a positive predictive value of 100% for resectability. That indeed is very impressive. Hard to do more than 100%. On the basis of PATH, however, uh, this resectability numbers came to 83%. And again, I think all of us understand that at PATH, you can't have very much microscopic margins or small nodes that are positive. But in a sense, what we're looking at in terms of what we do is, is a patient resectable or not? Yes, there will be positive nodes in the pancreatic bed or near the pancreatic bed, and these nodes are not enlarged, and there's no doubt we can't call these nodes. But the presence of nodes does not determine whether or not a patient is going to get a Whipple's procedure. Reasons for not getting Whipple's, liver mets, uh, arterial encasement, those we're really good at. But again, this is just some very important numbers to keep in mind. Another article by Zamboni just a couple months ago. 
looking at 114 CT scans, 100% sensitivity and detection of resectability, 72% specificity, and when you used more experienced readers, the specificity increased to 94% and positive predictive value to 98%. So the thing you also recognize from this article is something that's often been said, is that people with more experience, even in the same data sets, will do a better job. And there's an article from Sloan Kettering on this. There's an article impressed from Hopkins, 30% change when you redo images or re-review images in a cancer center that does lots of pancreatic cancer versus a place that does not. So again, these numbers are indeed good, showing that if you have good experience, you can indeed do a great job. Now, this article was interesting in gathering their cases. They were done over a period of time with a number of scanners. And they didn't see any significant difference depending on the generation of scanner used. I think in our experience, you know, you could do a good job at four and a better job at 16. But surely in terms of vascular involvement, you do the best job at 64. But this article showed that even before 64, we were indeed doing a good job. Another article, several reports have shown that uh, pancreatic cancer is well evaluated with helical CT with main limitations being detecting liver mets or lymph node metastasis. And this indeed is something I think all of us should be aware of. If you ask me where are the pitfalls, well, that one pitfall, small nodes that are infiltrated by tumor, and that's what comes out from the surgical literature. Then the issue is small liver mets. I think small liver mets is a problem. Hypovascular lesions are what we typically see in the liver with adenocarcinoma of the pancreas. So we do a better than 90% job in detecting METs, but I think if we're going to miss something, there's no doubt metastasis to liver or to small nodes will be the areas of greatest concern. Now, what about our capabilities? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind technology makes a difference. Disregarding the article before that showed no significant difference, I think we all know with improved spatial resolution, with improved temporal resolution, with the use of isotropic data sets, there's no doubt that lesion detection, but surely lesion classification and determining resectability of lesions based on the vascular involvement will surely be better. We also know that multi-phase acquisition is critical. Uh, for most applications, delayed phase imagings aren't going to add a whole lot, but arterial phase is optimal for looking at arterial structures, for vascular mapping, for detecting islet cell tumors, Portal phase, best for detecting uh, adenoCA, looking at portal vein, looking at SMV, looking at liver, looking at the areas around the patient's pancreatic tumor. So both techniques together really give you the optimal examination. Some people even do a third phase, delayed phase imaging. I don't think that adds a whole lot in most situations. Uh, you can see from this slide, we do have a, a pretty much preset timing for injections. And it was an article recently published by Goshima, which has similar numbers. Uh, optimal delay for imaging the pancreas was 30 to 35 seconds. Uh, for the arterial structures, 45 seconds. Uh, for splenic vein, 55 seconds or later for liver. So coming in about 30 seconds and then back at about 60 seconds, that's what we recommend, tends to be a good technique. Patient prep, we give lots of water, at least 1,000 cc's. Distend the stomach, distend the small bowel, always a source of potential pitfall. And IV contrast, we use Omnipeg 350 or Visipeg 320. 
using between 100 and 120 cc's of contrast, injecting typically at 4 cc's a second, and D works very nicely. Although we're all aware that for many years axial CT was the backbone, and in many ways it's still the backbone of CT scanning, particularly for complex anatomy, particularly when you're looking at vascular structures, you really need to be beyond the axial imaging, and therefore a combination of multiplanar and 3D mapping, whether it's volume rendering or MIPS, whether the multiplanar is coronal or sagittal or oblique or curved planar reconstruction, this indeed becomes very critical. And in fact, um, one could argue, how do you do the 3D rendering? Is it with preset protocols? We tend to favor real-time interactive display. Particularly on our technique, it's fastest, and it gives you the most reliable information because you're interacting constantly with that data set. A combination of presets and interactivity? Well, I guess that would work. Now, it's not just today that 3D was shown to be valuable. In this article from Rapatopoulos over 10 years ago, positive predictive value for resectability 96% with 3D imaging versus 70% for axial imaging alone. So even when CT was at four slice, these numbers were indeed critical. And this article from Hopkins House and the surgery and radiology groups at Hopkins, mainly four slice, but some 16 slice, 3D CT was 95% accurate in determining cancer invasion of mesenteric vessels. And that was not a retrospective analysis. That was based on our prospective reading on every case that went to surgery. So again, the literature is indeed very strong for 3D imaging. And there's no doubt, as good as we are today, we're only going to get better, whether it's better temporal resolution or better spatial resolution, whether we're going to look at perfusion imaging, whether we're going to look at PET and multimodality displays. These are all indeed very real possibilities. So let's now look a little bit more carefully at some of the details. In terms of pancreatic mass detection, typically we think about a mass. That's something enlarged. In the past, tumors were three to five centimeters. You'd pick up a mass. Now, because CT is done earlier, because we're more accurate, we may not see a mass. We may see textural change. We may see a duct transition and know there has to be a mass there. So we're much better than we used to be. Now, as I mentioned, pancreatic masses in adenocarcinoma are typically hypovascular. But there are hypervascular lesions, and I'll just share a couple examples to bring everybody up to the same level. For example, islet cell tumors are hypervascular lesions, and it's just a classic large islet cell tumor involving the region of the tail of the pancreas, actually invades the spleen. Islet cell tumors not only are very vascular on, on arterial face imaging in the primary mass, but also in terms of liver metastasis. And liver mets, you know, you think about hepatoma as hypervascular, but metastasis, islet cell, metastatic carcinoid. You can see on the, these images, again, some of the uh, splaying of vessels. You can see the neovascularity in that large mass involving the tail of pancreas extending into the spleen. And again, here's just a few more images of that, hypervascular. And then, of course, we go to venous phase. And yes, you can see the lesions in the liver, but they're less well-defined. You can see the extensive collaterals in the stomach, but that's because the patient's tumor involve the splenic vein and splenic artery. And you can see that again very nicely here. And of course, it's not just large tumors. Here's a patient with a bit over one centimeter hypervascular lesion, head of pancreas, and uh, that was an islet cell tumor. And here's a patient, a uh, same lesion uh, projecting off the pancreas. 
This was an insulinoma, and here it is in 3D. Insulinomas are small lesions, typically one centimeter range, hypervascular. CT these days, with its high resolution capabilities, can pick these lesions up in about 95% of cases. In the past, CT was at best 50% for islet cell tumors, and here's just a few more pictures. Now again, to make the point that islet cell tumors will become isodense pretty quickly. Now, we talk about hypervascular tumors. Flip side is cystic tumors. Cystic pancreatic lesions, well-defined, water density, may have septations. This was a cystadenoma, but as you know, it could be anywhere from cystadenoma to um, cystadenocarcinomas. We could talk about Hamudi tumors, which are in younger patients. We could talk about incidental IPMNs, intraductal papillary neoplasms. Very common, 3% of the population uh, actually seems to have them in our experience. And these cysts can be uh, variable size. IPMNs like this case typically are under three centimeters. Again, the question is, what do you do with these patients? You can't operate on all of them. So you typically follow them looking and hoping for lack of change of size. The IPMNs you worry about are the central IPMs, which are in the duct. Those have about a 10% chance of becoming malignant. And so those are the ones we're really concerned about. Uh, again, just very nice visualizations showing you some of those capabilities. Now, let's go back to adenocarcinoma. I've showed you now some cystic lesions, some hypervascular lesions, but I said adenocarcinoma is hypovascular. And here's just a great example. Look at the body of the pancreas. You see that low-density lesion? You see the dilated duct, but look at that low-density lesion. And it's just a thing of beauty. Uh, it's not a cystic lesion, no chance. It's not a vascular lesion. You look at it in a few other planes, Again, when we use volume rendering with texture mapping, you really get a very nice look at that lesion. And you could see that it does cause the dilatation of the duct. You can see it's a transit point between obstruction and non-obstruction. And you could see very nicely around those circles the tumor. Another example, dilated duct. You've got to find the cause. It's a low-density lesion proximal to that dilated duct. It's not a very large lesion, but as you look and you look at transitions, the lesion is small, and that's consistent with tumor. Again, we can't be looking for larger lesions anymore. Look at this example. Look at the lesion we now define because of the duct in the body of the pancreas. That lesion is really tiny. It's a one plus centimeter lesion, but it's something you should be able to diagnose based simply on the transition zone and the CT appearance. So again, very important. Here's another example. Tail of pancreas, one centimeter mass. These are the lesions in the past that would have been missed. These lesions are often the ones that you can get a cure on. So you really don't want to miss this. You don't want it to come back when it's five or six centimeters. So uh, distal pancreatectomy here did the trick. Now, other things we look for are changes in texture. I mentioned that a moment ago about low-density texture, but texture often is impacted by dilated ducts. So in this case, you see the body and tail show a dilated duct. You see a transition, and you see the differential enhancement between the proximal and distal aspects of the patient's pancreas. That low density is because of infiltration. It's because of pinching of the vessels. It's slow flow. And you can see very nicely as you go through the sequence of images that true differential enhancement between normal gland and abnormal gland. And you see the dilated duct. When you look carefully at the transition point, it's very clearly demarcated. There's definitely a tumor there. That's a classic visualization for pancreatic carcinoma 
in the mid-body of the pancreas. So just very nice visualization looking at the areas of enhancement versus the areas of lack of enhancement. So when you look closely at that case, look at that transition. When I bring things directly into focus, it's a one centimeter mass, but it's a definite cutoff, there's definite differential enhancement. And those are the pancreatic cancers that typically are resectable. So again, you want to be very careful in that regard. Duct dilatation, transitions of duct from dilated to non-dilated, changes in gland texture, those are all very, very important things. I'll just comment again about pancreatic duct dilatation. Um, when you see whether it's common duct or pancreatic duct, when there's a rapid change in caliber, you got to think about a lesion. Now, it could be a stricture in pancreatic duct, it could be a stone or even a common duct, but you got to worry about tumor. So make sure you can explain any transition. Sometimes you won't see a mass on CT. Well, you better do an ERCP. It's not something that you want to leave alone. And you can see here it's just in that case from before with the dilated pancreatic duct. And here's a humongous duct. It looks like a cystic lesion. Well, in fact, it is. It's a central IPM, high associated with malignancy. These are going to come out. But basically, the entire gland is atrophic because what you really are left with is a giant pancreatic duct. And you can see on this first 3D image the little outpouchings of the duct. That's very classic for central IPMN. You put a scope in there, all you'll get back is a ton of mucus. So again, something to be aware of. Central, markedly dilated duct, atrophy of gland, uh, no vessel involvement. You better be thinking, indeed, about this possibility. Now what about vascular mapping? And vascular mapping is the other big part of the study. And that is probably the most critical thing when we talk about resectability. And why don't we talk about vascular mapping in part two? And with that, I wish you a great day.